Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 24 The Frog in Your Throat I've been thinking a lot about lying recently. No surprising since mine seem to be piling up round me like the antiques in the shop. We're always taught in school by our parents and family that lying is wrong. But why does that only seem to apply to bairns? Everyone lies, whether it's to prevent someone's feelings for getting hurt or to save your own skin. Why do we feel guilty, though? Why do secrets and lies eat away at us, even if we have a reason for keeping them? Is it just me? I'd love to be one of those people who's at peace with their lies, who doesn't even have the weest bit of guilt at no telling the truth, at keeping something to themselves. I'm no talking white lies, the ones ye utter to keep the peace. I'm talking about the big ones. The family secrets, the deathbed confessions, the body you buried in the back garden. Why do they become burdens? It's like they have a mind of their own sometimes. Caged birds, desperate to get out. Mine are no quite like that. No yet. They still nag at me, more often than not. Always afraid I'll get caught thinking about what'll happen if I do. Having to keep track so I didn't trip up over my own lies is a task I'm no that fond of. Nothing bad happened after I took that brooch for Rowan, though. Which means I interfered with fate and nothing happened. Does that mean the madam's wrong? Is that possible? It doesn't matter. I said I'd just do it the one time, just because it was my pal. I'm no going to do it again. That was it. The usual lull had descended the shop. That time a relative peace before the havoc breaks in. And on cue, the bell above the door informed us of a customer. Kronos and I didn't need to take bets on this one. It was obvious by the way he hesitated in the door, eyes darting round the room like a lizard after a fly. He was a special customer. I was about to make a bet with Kronos and how long it'd take him to plod over to the counter when his feet moved and he came over, unprompted. He wouldn't make eye contact with me, but glanced at Kronos as if he wanted to pet him. A part Amy wanted him to try, just to see what the wee shite would do. Instead, he rifled through his pockets, and after pulling out loose change, a scrunched-up hanky and an empty sweetie wrapper, he planted the familiar business card on the counter. Before he could muster up the courage to touch Kronos, I told him to follow me up the stairs, where the madam was waiting in the front room. 
The customer had the nice time and naughty start spilling his guts until after I'd rushed in with the teapot and cups. My boss asked him what she could help him with, and his answer was the last thing I'd been expecting. He'd been having blurred vision. I've heard some weird reasons before. Some I've even been adamant are more appropriate for a medical professional, but this definitely sounded like one. I took glances at him between pouring the tea. I say glances, but it definitely felt like I was just outright staring. It had been a while where a customer's problem had sounded so mundane. My boss asked him when it had started. He answered the day before, then corrected himself and said a week ago, a month ago. The more answers slipped from his mouth, the quicker I gave up the pretense that I wasn't staring. You know when you're tired, or just not really paying attention, and something comes out of your mouth during a conversation that you didn't know where it came from? You weren't even thinking that, no, consciously. Yet there it is, an anomaly in an otherwise normal conversation. The way the customer kept correcting his answer, the growing scowl of frustration as he enunciated each one, reminded me of that. Except, rather than it just happen once, like most people, every time he said something, it was like he hadn't wanted to say it at all. His cheeks were beginning to flush, either way embarrassment or frustration, I couldn't tell. The madam held her hand up to stop him. There was silence. His breathing laboured as if he'd sprinted up the stairs. Madam Norna let him calm down, but I could tell by the way her eyes surveyed the man on the sofa opposite that she was also using this time to think, to assess. I did the same. The customer couldn't have been much older than me, maybe late twenties at the most. He was dressed casually, a jacket and jeans, mismatched socks and shoes that looked like they'd seen better days a few years ago. He didn't have any jewellery, no watch, smart or otherwise, on his wrist, no ring on any of his fingers. He had the appearance of anyone you'd walk past in the street. Smile awkwardly too when your eyes met as they sat opposite you on the train to work. His knee was bouncing up and down, erratically, quickly, like someone waiting for a job interview or bad news. His hand rested on his knee, but he was picking at a patch of his jeans that was scuffed, trying to turn it into a tear. His eyes were closed, but when they'd been open, he'd never looked at either me or the madam. The teacups were more interesting than us, but his hadn't been touched. After a few more moments of silence, the madam asked, in her softest, calmest voice, if he was currently sitting in a living room. At first, I thought whatever was wrong with him had infected her as well. That'd be a first, a contagious problem. I hope that's no a thing. I really do. The customer's answer was no. I felt my face scrunch into a frown, 
It had been a while since I'd felt so confused at one of these conversations. Did he not think the front room was a living room? Granted, there was no telly, but everything else was living room-esque. Sofas, cabinets, a coffee table. My boss's second question was if he was wearing jeans. He said no. I stared at his jeans, the same ones he was trying to poke a hole through as we spoke. I then started to question if they were jeans, why would he be saying they weren't? I resisted the urge to reach out and feel the fabric to confirm. Despite my utter confusion, the madam nodded knowingly at each answer she was given. I waited patiently for an explanation. Eventually, she informed him that he was unable to tell the truth. He said no. It hadn't been a question. If this lad couldn't tell the truth, then every word out of his mouth was a lie. He was sitting in a living room, but that was the truth, so he couldn't say. He was wearing jeans, but he couldn't say that either. Mahid began to twinge, knowing I was in for a complicated conversation. My boss inquired if he knew who'd done it. He said yes, which meant no. Just to save myself the confusion, I'll just skip straight to the answer. Due to this lad's inability to tell the truth, every question had to be a yes or no answer, which went as slowly as you might expect. At some point in the last fortnight, this lad had woken up one morning and found that he couldn't tell the truth, no even about wee things. Someone asked him the time, and he lied. Someone asked him for directions to a place he knew, and he sent them in the opposite way. Eventually, the madam's card had found its way into his possession, and here he was, hoping she could solve his problem. Luckily for him, she was an expert in that. I'd never seen her throw her hands up in defeat at a special customer. When she instructed me to go into the cabinet of wonders, I was giddy with excitement. Do you know how long it's been since I've been allowed to go in there? Ages. Had anything changed? Were there new things to get distracted by? I was looking for an incense cone, at least five. As soon as I opened the doors to the cabinet, I noticed the changes. The jars, all labelled with letters, had moved down to the bottom shelf. Where there'd been crystals and amulets before was new pieces of paper with foreign symbols on them. I'd only ever seen incense sticks on the top shelf, but knew there were only cones. They came in a rainbow of colours. There was even a white one sitting in the middle, as though it were an amalgamation of the rest. I was looking for the brown ones, similar in colour to the skin on an almond or hazelnut. It was hard to smell, since the odour of the cabinet itself is so overpowering. I got a waft of coffee grounds with a hint of apricot, but that could have been something else entirely. I put the five cones into the customer's outstretched hands, and for the first time he looked at me and gave me a half-smile to show his appreciation. 
As I sat back down, my boss instructed the customer to burn one a night for five nights. By the time the last one had burnt itself out, he'd be back to normal. If not, then he was to come back. I don't think I've ever seen a special customer return to the shop unless instructed, but there was a first time for everything. The customer opened his mouth to say something, perhaps a thank you, perhaps a question, before he firmly closed it again, his shoulders slumping with disappointment. I started to feel bad. How frustrating must it be to no say what you want, or even what you mean? Speech is such a large party human agency, and to have it robbed for you like that was criminal. Before he left, the madam asked him one last question. Had he told anyone anything important in the days or weeks leading up to the curse? He confirmed that he had, but being unable to elaborate, the madam let him go. I sat, watching as the untouched tea in the customer's cup rippled as the shop door was opened and closed, waiting for a story. He has a frog in his throat, the madam informed me. He'd sounded fine to me. Every lie had been enunciated to perfection, and I presumed she didn't mean literally. Again, I hope that's no a thing. My boss told me that it was an old curse people used to cast on others, so they'd never be able to tell the truth. Sometimes it worked in making them unable to speak. Others, it actively made every word from their mouth a lie. Mercifully, there were few people alive who could cast such an archaic curse. And our old pal Madame Anora was probably behind this one. Madame Narna continued that the customer had cheated on his partner and had hidden it for them for months before the guilt was too much for him. He confessed to this partner, and understandably, they hadn't taken it well. Just no for the reasons you might imagine. The partner actually knew about the cheating, they just didn't want to acknowledge it. They were happy to stay with him and bury their heed in the sand. This plan had obviously been foiled by the customer coming clean. These events had led them to Madame Anora who'd cursed our customer to never tell the truth. I cleaned away the cups and potty tea, washed them in the sink and floated dazedly down the stairs. Finn was there with Kronos, having arrived after I'd gone upstairs. He noticed my confused stare and asked what was wrong. I told him about the customer and what had happened. What I was having trouble getting my head around is why? Why would someone no want to be told about their partner's infidelities? No knowing and continuing in ignorance wasn't the same as finding out and then doing nothing about it. Wouldn't you want to know why, at least? So even if the customer cheated again, he wouldn't have been able to tell the partner. They wanted to be ignorant or they wanted to ignore the cheating. Why? 
Finn was silent for a few moments. And I couldn't tell if it was because he didn't know either, or he did and just didn't know how best to explain it. Eventually, he told me that sometimes people just can't let go of a relationship, even if it's bad for them. Because it's easier to be in the relationship than out of it. Despite his words, I still didn't understand, and probably never will. Relationships of that kind have always eluded me, so I'll just have to take his word for it. The only conclusion I can safely draw for this particular story is that people act strangely sometimes, and that Madame Honora must get almost as much business as we do. Smile awkwardly too when your meats meet when your meats meet. <laughs> no, no, that's not right. Where there'd been crystals and amulets before was new pieces of foreign shit. Foreign shit. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> he has a th- throg, a throg in his throat. Nope, that's. <laughs> He'd sounded fine to me. Apart from, (laughs) I don't sound fine to me. Thank you for listening to episode 24 of The Antique Shop. Episode 25 will be released in two weeks' time. If you like the show, then please think about leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you'd like to support the show, we have a coffee account. Just search for Ghostly Thistle on coffee.com and donate however much you want. And if you'd like to go above and beyond for the podcast, then recommend us to your friends, colleagues, arch enemies, everybody that you will listen to you. If you'd like to get in touch with me, the email address is ghostly.thistle at gmail.com or you can leave me a comment or a message on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Ghostly Thistle. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time.